Good morning to each one of you. It's good to be together this morning. A number of years ago, um, I'm guessing 12, 15, I'm not sure, uh, I was with a group of men. We were at the Denver airport and we had boarded the plane and there was uh, a truck with a tall boom out there spraying the wings of the airplane that we were about to take off on. And uh, there was a mist falling and it was freezing as it was falling and that's a bad combination for airplanes. And so they were spraying a chemical on the wings to keep it uh, from uh, building up on the wings. So they finished that, we taxied out to the end of the runway and here's another truck with a boom spraying on every airplane on the wings before it heads down the runway. And uh, David Yoder, uh, some of you know from Delaware, uh, said, I don't think I could do that job. He said, uh, the liability is just so great. What if I don't get it right and that plane crashes? And Dan Beachy looks over at him and says, David, Sunday morning, when you stand in the pulpit, you are doing something far more serious than what that man's doing. And he's probably right. And sometimes I feel that uh, when I stand here. The title of the message this morning is, uh, when you start down a road, you are choosing a destination. When you start down a road, you're choosing a destination. We live in a world of, uh, of many religions, and, and there's a constant call to be more tolerant of other beliefs, uh, other people's views. You know, you have your God, I have mine, and that's okay. There's increasing pressure to accept alternate lifestyles. For years, we've been grappling with a divorce and remarriage creeping into our family circles. And now gay marriage is creeping in to our family circles. It's, it's in mine, it's in my wife's. And, and that, you know, there's, there's pressure to be okay or to somehow deal with this uh, we must, we must deal with it redemptively, but it's, there's pressure there to be okay with it. One of our presidential candidates was asked, how many genders are there? And the answer was, oh, there's at least three. And then the next question was, could you name them? And there was angry silence. How do you name them? Some believe there are many ways to God. Christianity is one of the many. It would be wrong for you to claim that your way is the only way. So we have all of this. And uh, who decides? Who decides? That's what I'd like to look at this morning. Who decides? 
Paul was faced with something similar to this in Acts uh, chapter 17 there on Mars Hill. He had, uh, he had been there and looked around and he saw all these altars that these, all these gods, these people worshipped. And, and then let's see what, what happens. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship. Him declare I unto you. So he's saying, you have all these gods, and here you are even worshiping a God you don't know, and I want to introduce you to him. And he goes on and he says this, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And certain also of your own poets have said, for we also, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and men's device. The times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. When, when Paul was confronted with this question of, you know, there's many gods, many ways to, to come to God, uh, he goes to the Creator. The Creator. We're looking at who decides. Who decides what's right and wrong? Who decides? The Creator seems like an obvious person to decide. John 1.1, 1, 1, first couple of verses there of, of the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. And in him was life, and the life was the light of men. That sounds like, like somebody that I can believe. Someone that uh, qualifies to decide what is right and what is wrong. It's interesting, the, the early church in, in Acts chapter 4, uh, they had, Peter and John had been cast into prison and, and then they were miraculously released and they gather together with the other believers 
And they were um, praising God and, and asking for boldness. And in that prayer, they say this. This is when they, when they heard uh, what all was going on and, and the authorities coming after them. They lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hath made heaven and earth and sea and all that in them is. Their minds went to the creator. You created all of this. We're focused on you. And you are the one that decides what we preach, what we say. Yeah, they can put us in prison, but you decide and we're going to take our orders from you. We're looking at who decides. Maybe the one who always was. Isn't that someone, maybe, the person that always existed? Psalm 90 verse 2 says, Before the mountain, mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God, the eternal one. Yeah, maybe he decides. John 17, 5, Jesus, when he was facing the cross, what did he say? And now, O Father, Glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. That's, that's the one we look to, to decide. Scripture says this about Jesus, and we're thinking about who decides. Who decides right and wrong? Who decides the way to God? the one to whom we are told as human beings we will have to give an account to. Hebrews 4.13, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him with whom we have to do or to whom we have to give account. Everything is open to him and we will give account to him for all things, all things in our lives. That is the one who decides. Romans 14, 11, for it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us will give account of himself to God. So if we're going to have to someday give account to him, we better start listening to him now and what he has to say. Who decides? Maybe the one who died that we might live. The one who was willing to give his life for us. Romans 5.8 But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is the one who decides, the one who was willing to lay down his life in order that we might live. So we're concluding that when it comes to uh, 
all these religions, when it comes to all these pressures to be tolerant, the one who decides is God. And that's why we study his word. That's why we pray to him. That's why we strive to live in obedience to his word, because he is the one who decides. Jesus said this of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus' very own words. And there's that passage in, in uh, John 6 that, that has always uh, been, been such a blessing in my life when people were starting to no longer follow Jesus. And Jesus goes to his disciples and says, Will, will you too uh, leave me? And Simon Peter says, To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Through our time with you, we have discovered that you are the ones that have, you are the one through which we will find eternal life. So why would we go somewhere else? They had come to believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. They watched him calm the waves and the wind. Heal the sick, raise the dead. They saw him lay down his life and willingly die on the cross. They had been with him. They saw him do miracle after miracle. He did not have to die. He laid down his life. And then rising from the dead, going through closed doors, they watched him ascend up into heaven. So we can, with Peter, conclude, we're not going. We're not going anywhere else. You're the one that has the words of eternal life. People have, have told me already, and, and I, I understand what they're saying. They're saying, Rich, you live in a black and white world. You know, we live in a gray world. Uh, and I, I, know what, I know what the point is they're making. However, we don't live in Rich's black and white world, and we don't live in their gray world. We live in God's world. God is the decider. God is the one who proclaims how things are going to be, and we are going to live in account to him. Matthew chapter 7 uh, that's a scripture that, that has impressed me ever since I was a little boy, and probably, I mean, we all know it well. Matthew 7, uh, verses 13 and 14. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Why, why only two ways? Somebody, somebody respond. Why only two ways? Wouldn't three or four 
I like options. When I make decisions in life, I like to make decisions that give me flexibility. You know, why not at least three ways or maybe four? Why only two? Okay, that's exactly right. There's only two destinations. There can only be two roads. Jesus says here, there's a straight gate, a narrow way, and few will find it. Now, it doesn't say whether it's black and white or gray. You can put whatever color to that you want. But that's what Jesus says. There's a narrow way, a straight gate, and few find it. And then there's a broad way with a wide gate, and many, many go in thereat. Back to the title of the message. When we start down a road, we are choosing a destination. That's true for every human being that ever was or ever will be. We start down a road, we're choosing a destination. You go out the driveway here when you leave. If you go north, you'll never get to Brookneal. If you go south, you'll never get to Rustburg. You choose the road, you choose the destination. And that, that's a sobering, a sobering thought. In Proverbs, uh, we're said, uh, this is said in Proverbs 4.26, Ponder the path of thy feet, and let all thy ways be established. Ponder the path of your feet. Proverbs 1.15, My son, walk not thou in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from their path. It's talking about following those that are leading us down the wrong road. Don't follow their path. Jesus tells us this about ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts and your thoughts. That's bringing us back. God is the one that decides. And his ways and his thoughts are higher than ours. We better follow him. When we choose a road, we are choosing a destination. So what should I do if I discover I'm on the wrong road? We've all done that. Uh, we're traveling somewhere. I was, I'm not good with directions. GPS is great as long as it's telling me what I really need to do. And when it confuses me, then I'm confused again. But I'm not good. My wife is much better with directions than I am. We were down at Greensboro Airport, and uh, we were trying to come home, and, and we kept going by this the same buildings. Every couple of miles, we come by the same. I said, hey, we're going in circles. You know, we're not... There was uh, some construction there, and we couldn't quite go where the GPS was telling us to go. And we, what, what do you do when you're on the wrong road? We've all been there in our vehicle. We've all been there in life. 
we've been on the wrong road. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. There's the Lord again. The Lord. And us choosing the wrong way. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us have been on the wrong road. Ephesians 2, verse 1, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that, that now worketh, in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. All of us were going down that wrong road. So what do you do when you're going down the wrong road? Proverbs 3, 5, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not on thy own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Proverbs 16, 25, There is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. What can we learn from these verses? If we are always doing what is right in our own eyes, we're probably on the wrong road. Every time we come, are faced with a decision, if we do what is right in our own eyes, we're probably on the wrong road. If we are refusing to do what God says we should do, we are probably on the wrong road. So what do we do? if we discover we're on the wrong road. Revelation 3.19 says this, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Repentance is the answer. When you and I discover we're on the wrong road, Repentance, turning around, going the other way, is the answer. Daniel uh, chapter 4, I think, gives us probably uh, one of the more dramatic pictures of repentance. In, in Scripture, and we won't read this whole story. We know, we know the story well. Nebuchadnezzar had this dream, and he finally got Daniel there to in interpret the dream. And Daniel was Daniel was devastated by uh, the dream and the interpretation, and and he he didn't want to say it. I mean, you know, you tell the king that he's going to turn into an animal. You know, you could lose your head very easily in uh, in the Babylonian government, and 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 I think he had come to love the king, 
and he did not want his friend to experience this. But finally, Nebuchadnezzar says, just, just tell me. I want to know. I want to know the truth. And so he told him, you're going to, uh, you're going to be driven out from men and become an animal and eat grass and turn into a cow. And, and Daniel pled with him, you know, break off your sins. Repent. If you repent, maybe you won't have to experience this. Daniel pled with him to repent, but we know he didn't. And the story goes on. And he, he kept going his proud, selfish, uh, bragging ways about everything he had accomplished. And then the, the dream came true. And he was driven out and lived as an animal for seven years. But then there was repentance. And he says this, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, this is his own testimony, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand, nor say unto him, What doest thou? At the same time, my reason returned unto me, for the glory of my kingdom, mine honor and the brightness returned unto me, and my counselors and my lords sought me unto me, and I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. And now get this. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are truth, his ways are judgment, and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. It became clear to Nebuchadnezzar who decides. And it was the God of heaven and earth. His ways are truth. And those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. You see repentance. A proud, arrogant king, humbled and worshiping the God of heaven, and determining to, to live in, in truth and in the judgment of his ways. Jesus, um, you know, we can get the, the picture here from what Jesus said about the straight and narrow way. Few will find it. And that can trouble us and it should, it should trouble us that few will find it. Will I be there? Will my family be there? Will my neighbors be there? You know, and oh, few will find it. But scripture tells us other things that we must remind ourselves of. Revelation 5, 9 says, And they sung a new song, saying, 
Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us unto God by thy blood out of every kindred, every tongue, every people, every nation. Yes, few, but from all over, all over the world. Revelation 22, four, uh, 17. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. It's for whosoever. Yes, few, but whosoever. Everyone has that choice. We choose the road. And then we choose the destination because the road takes us to the destination. When Paul was writing to First Timothy, when he was writing to Timothy in, in uh, the book of First Timothy, he says, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men for kings and for all that are in authority, that they may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will that all men be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. Jesus died for all. Over the last number of years, uh, I've watched my dad get old and, and pass on. Uh, here in this community, we've watched Robert... Eli, Ernest, others get old and feeble and pass on. And I can't help but wonder what, what goes through one's mind uh, those last years of life. You're laying there, uh, you're old, you're feeble. Uh, I remember uh, visiting Ernest, bedfast just laying there, but his mind was sharp. And he would tell me, he said, Rich, I, I still have things to do. <clears throat> I still have people to pray for. I have family that is not walking with God. And I, I have a job to do. You can't help but imagine that they might think back, what could have I done different? That, that this child or this grandchild or um, that things would be different. They're laying there and now they see their children being grandparents and great-grandparents and, and uh, you couldn't help but wonder the choices I made what, what effect did this have? Is, 
Is my faith being passed on to, to the next generations? Am I doing, am I doing the job well? Choosing roads carefully so that we reach the destination we would like, that God would like. Moses said this in Deuteronomy 30, <clears throat> I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live. You know, many of us here have, uh, have little ones that you're holding on your laps. And you don't think too much about grandchildren when you're, uh, you know, thinking of the next diaper change and those kinds of things. You're not thinking about your grandchildren. But maybe you should be. Because choices have consequences. I think, and you know, this, this grandparenting role is something I'm just starting. And that's, that's the time you talk because later then you can't, you know. You know how that is when you're, when you're single, you know how to raise children and you know how to treat wives right. But then, you know, <laughs> then when you get in the middle of it, you wonder sometimes how much you really know. Um, I do think that our grandchildren say something about the values we passed on to our children. Uh, I just think that that's kind of the way it is. And so we must ponder carefully our nurturing and our teaching and our choices because what really is taught is what carries on to, to the next generation. Now, I realize, I realize everybody has a choice. I'm not, I'm not uh, minimizing that. And um, it's, I was talking to, to one of my sons and he was thanking me for being a good dad. And I said, well, it's like this. Any good that comes out of me or any good that comes out of you, son, is the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the difference. And I have to make that choice. You have to make that choice. And if we don't, then, then we're back to, you know, the title of our message. You choose a road, you get to that destination. So, yes, every individual, every one of our children have a choice. But parents, try really hard. Do your best. Choose wisely. Because probably no one, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, has as much impact on the destination of that never-dying soul than what you do. So let's do our best to try to pass on the faith and the values that we hold dear 
because we learned them from God, who is the decider. Let's choose our roads carefully so that we reach the right destination. Shall we have a song?